Welcome to the Collingwood Podcast, anniversary 125. Amazing that the Pies have been around for 125 years. And with me today, I've got Anthony Rocker, who's uh, one of the uh, men who's been uh, included in the best 125 players of all time. Number one. Number one. And <laughs> Michael Roberts, the Collingwood historian, who was my co-author on the book, Champions of Collingwood. Thanks for joining us, guys. Good to be here, Mac. Yeah, you're welcome. Absolutely. Amazing, Michael, 125 years of Collingwood. You did a book for the, ninth, for the 100th anniversary. How does it feel to to be doing another one for the 125. I feel very, very old to think that I've uh, <laughs> been around doing books on Collingwood for that long. You know, I spoke to you as a, as a family member, indeed, <laughs> as, a, as a former Collingwood great, family of a former Collingwood great, and Charlie Dibbs. I thought and, he was um, going to say, I was a former Collingwood great, <laughs> and I would have taken that, Anthony. You would have Collingwood under-17 great. Yes, the Harry Collier squad, which is a long time ago. They don't have that anymore, uh, do they? From Collingwood to media. I know. Go, Not see? the first to have made that, <laughs> exactly. that switch. And, Anthony, what has the Collingwood Footy Club meant to you over the journey? It's uh, oh, look, pretty it's, amazing. Yeah, it's been my family, really. Like, apart from my my family, which is uh, my blood, this is part of my family. So uh, I've grown up, you know, initially watching Sev play at Collingwood and when I was in the outer, I wanted to play and get out there. If they ever had an injury, I was thinking I'd get out there on the ground, but I knew that could never happen. But um, over the journey, it's just been a second family, which has been fantastic. And you talk about family. There's a story in the book in Paul the Curious chapter mm. about your your parents and his parents going across to that game in Adelaide. And you also got him a signed Sav jumper when yeah. he had knee reconstruction. Yeah. Pretty amazing. We played together junior footy um, before we, we, we got together at Collingwood. So... Um, we drove each other to training. We picked him up on the way through. They dropped us off on the way, on the way home. And yeah, unfortunately, Paul had a lot of uh, injuries over his uh, junior career. So I knew that he was a Collingwood supporter and I knew he loved Sav. And I, when he had his, uh, I'm not sure if it was a broken leg or knee, Rico, um, I brought him in a Collingwood signed jumper by Sav. So uh, I think he still hangs that up on the wall. He still remembers <laughs> it yeah. to this day and still talks fondly about it. Yeah. Michael, just in choosing the, the best 125, you're a part of the Collingwood Hall of Fame committee that did that. We've also tasked you for the Sunday Herald Sun choosing your 1 to 25. I reckon you were 26, Anthony. Um, <laughs> how tough was it as a group to sit down and work out who the best 125 players in Collingwood's history? Oh, yeah, it was, it was tough, absolutely, because... You know, for every player that you think, oh, yeah, he should be in, he should be in, he should be in, there's another 10 who can mm. fill one of those spots. And you feel very deeply the kind of responsibility of, I'd love to be able to get all of these guys in. And there's, there's just 125 slots. You can't. There's always going to be 126 and a number 127. But you do feel that very strongly. that you, And you've got personal favourites who may not have been amongst the best players, but you loved them as a fan. Um, and you want to get them in. And so that's where I think on the Hall of Fame committee it was great having Kevin Rose, Thorold Merritt, Wayne Richardson, because those guys had, had played with a lot of the blokes who we then were able to cover in the book. And so their experience counted for a lot. Who was the 126, 127? There must have been a couple of really stiff... It depends upon who we're talking to. Pretty much yes. everybody that <laughs> wasn't in there is um, number 126. I, look, I reckon Tark and Lockyer was yep. really stiff. He, he, it was so tight that last mm. that last call. Um, going back a lot further than Tark's, um, Archie Smith, a guy forward who played in the 1890s, was incredibly unlucky. John Henderson, a captain in the 60s, really stiff. And then a few of the more recent guys, Shane O'Bree, Josh Fraser, those kind of blokes, mm. all had really good cases to make. But ultimately, you've, you've got that last spot to fill. How long, how long did it take you? 
to oh, get the one twenty five? It took us a couple of months. Yeah, um, I we can had, imagine. Yeah, it was, and those last sort of five or six spots were the really tricky ones. Yeah, the first. 80 or 90 were fairly straightforward yep. and it was really those last handful because you could have filled them three times it's over. It's like your match committee, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now you know how the coaches feel. Yeah. I know, I don't want to do it ever again. So <laughs> you can have that on your ask, own. Isn't it? Yeah. So just on what it actually means to you personally, Anthony, to be in mm. the 125, but also to have Sav in the, in the 125. He's probably the most, one of the most underrated footballers externally from people and even internally he probably hasn't got the reputation that he should have. A bloke who kicks so many goals and yeah. a great player. I say that a lot uh, when I'm interviewed about Sav. I, I feel that he's underrated. Look, he got um, Hall of Fame this year at the Collingwood Football Club, which was, which which is was awesome, massive. Yeah. Mm. Look, when he, when he burst onto the scene and in 90, I think it was 93 or 94 when he kicked um, 93 goals for the season. Yeah, 95. It's 95, incredible. yep. How many? That, Scott then. Burns rated, rates that as one of the best um, key position forward performances you've yeah. seen for the year. Absolutely. Incredible. Yeah, and he was, he was in great form. He had some good help from others. From mm. I think Dermy was around that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, he, he was in peak form back then. And he loved Victoria Park, Michael, too, didn't he? Yeah. He loved kicking goals and he loved the loved Fremantle Frio. Dockers. Jared yeah. uh, Neesham used to always say, what have yeah. I done wrong to get and, um, Severio and Rocker? Dustin Fletcher. He did too. Yeah, Not many a... players played super no. well on Dustin he Fletcher. Used to get, yeah. He used to take Dustin to the cleaners mm. quite a lot and yep. I think Fletcher was one of the, he, you know, he was a guy who hated playing on, on Sav. And I reckon, for what it's worth, if Sav hadn't left Collingwood... Hang on, hang on, hang on. He did not leave Sorry, Collingwood. If Collingwood had not <laughs> left Sav, yes. his standing would be better Absolutely. than what it is because we got rid of him way too early. Yeah. It was a mental decision in hindsight. Yeah, crazy and when you look at it. And um, only a few years earlier, I think he kicked the 11 against Fremantle mm, at yeah. Victoria Park. And after that game, I remember Tony Shaw, the coach, said... Uh, Severio Rocker will kick a thousand goals, no mm. question. And yeah. he probably would have if he had a state and his knees had have been right. Yeah, I, the, I think the issue was his knees were getting he had patellar tendonitis in one yeah. knee, which he couldn't get rid of for I think it was, would have been about fourteen to sixteen months. And anyway, at the end of the when was it? The end of he got he got um, discarded at the end of two thousand, I think it was. And he felt that his knee was just starting to come good at the end of two thousand, and that's something that really irked him that you know he felt he had so much more to give but and it felt like his body was just starting to come back and then that happened to him like he was distraught yeah he was distraught I, I, yeah. like Colin had been part of his life and our family's life for so long um, and you know in hindsight it, it, it worked that, that we got the best out of each other by not being so known as the Rocket Brothers than, yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely you know there was times when you know, we didn't play well, and the team didn't play well, and it felt at times like we were maligned unfairly at times. Yeah. But you know, I understand that. I, I totally understand that. But um, that's just you got to the media, McFarlane. We can do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can. I don't think I did specifically. That's the biggest but... problem. They can do that. Yeah. And yeah. When, they, when we shoot back at them, they don't like it. They oh, do not like I'm it. Not, yeah. I'm not ready to be shot back here. <laughs> yeah. uh, just on that, you talked in the book heavily about your own grand final experiences, the, the 2002, yep. um, the goal that, and the great line that you mentioned about the OPSM um, sponsorship <laughs> should have been in by then for goal umpires, yeah. but also in 2003, yep. uh, what happened and how difficult it was for you to deal with both of those um, yeah. events. Uh, look, 2003, is like, I just got the goosebumps. Like yeah, I, I still feel a bit, mm. um, I feel 
bad for what I did for my team. Um, you know, the incident that happened was, was, was a soft incident, to tell you the truth. Yeah. And, and if you probably look at it now, you probably get a fine for it and you'd be able to play the next week. But, you know, at the time, that's what the rules were at the time. And um, I cost the team and I cost myself uh, playing in, the, in another grand final. Um, 2002, what an experience. Um, we come against, you know, probably the second best team of all time. Who's the best team? Well, the machine. The machine. Good, I was hoping he was going to say yeah. that. Um, Excellant. Good work. Yeah, we came in well. We and we got, uh, what was it, eight points? Nine in the Nine end. points, Nine sadly. In the um, and it looked like for a stay, for a moment there that we'd actually hold on and, um, and, get, and get the win, but um, it wasn't to be. And your parents, uh, you know, obviously the experiences they had with the Collingwood mm. Football Club and then obviously following Sav both at North and overseas, what it would mean to them to, to have you both, two brothers, mm. in the best 125 uh, players of all time at the Collingwood Footy Club? Yeah, they'd be ecstatic. Um, knowing that, uh, well, mum was born here, dad was from, from Italy, but uh, they'd be ecstatic that uh, two Italian boys made the uh, Collingwood team. So, um, Fantastic. Look, and, and all credit goes to them as well. You know, yeah. if it wasn't footy, they were driving us to athletics um, all around the state and sometimes around the country. Um, and then when we got into football, they followed us everywhere. They brought us here, they brought us there, um, helped me out in Sydney when I went up, up to Sydney. But um, come the training, my master, my, he was the unofficial match committee at training <laughs> at Vic Park. He sat with the... Um, we should have got him in on the committee. For the yeah, one he sat with the old fellows in the grandstand and uh, had yeah, their say. But um, they used to come to watch training, come to every game. So. Well, it was a multicultural 125. If you look at Lou Richards, who, yeah. who's got the Greek... Yep. Uh, your descendancy there, in a okay, sense, through the Panams, okay. yeah, yeah, through the Panams, um, which goes a long, long way back. Back yep. to 1894. 1894, back to Collingwood. So yeah. um, amazing to think that Lou at 94. The podcast Faith on Trial looks into Hillsong, both in Australia and the US, and takes both the listener and hosts on unexpected twists and turns in the story of Brian Houston and the singing preachers. There are two incidents involving Pastor Brian. The Australian journalists uncovered a litany of alleged criminal behavior in the megachurch. Financial gifts were being given to the leaders of the church. Listen to Faith on Trial Hillsong ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts today or wherever you get your podcasts. Is probably the oldest DNA link to, mm. yeah. to Collingwood. He's, in got, a lot a, of he's ways. got a link back to Collingwood's earliest years, which is fantastic. Michael, how hard was it uh, for the Sunday Herald Sun to come up with a one to twenty-five? And we did say that Anthony was absolutely number twenty-six, yeah. without a without he, a doubt. But he played with a number of those. And Sab was twenty-seven, just Sab quietly. Was oh, like, yeah, now you're lucky. <laughs> <Yeah. though. laughs> so, how difficult was it? And what was your rationale, uh, criteria-wise? It was it was even harder than picking the one twenty-five because trying to narrow down that 125 mm. to a top 25 and then put them in order. That was diabolically tricky. Um, and partly because it's, it's really hard, as, as you know, Macca, that to, to compare across eras, you know, and to try to work out who was the better footballer between an Albert Collier, who we don't have vision of, you know. There's no live action. None of us, nobody's alive who saw him play relative to a Nathan Buckley or uh, a Peter Dacos versus a Dev Fothergill. It's, it, they're the really, really tough calls and trying to work out how much weight you put on the players that you saw and trying not to favour them just because you happen to see them in your lifetime mm. but mm. give due cre- um, 
weight to the testimony of others, to former players that we've interviewed, and you, you and I have both interviewed guys going back to the machine days. Um, and then, but then you've got the very early guys like Dick Lee and Dick mm. Condon. And so, how do you judge those? Amazing and names, so, aren't they? Yeah, that's, 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 you would hear some of the names, Anthony, yeah. in your time at Collingwood. You hear the great names. Yeah, Collingwood. absolutely. And we try and we try and promote um, the, the history of the football club when we can, um, and talk about, and particularly talk about the players that I played with at the time. You know, the, the Buckleys, the Paul Williams, the Gavin Browns, um, Peter Dacos. I didn't get to play with Tony Shaw. I didn't get to play with, but was coached by. Um, but yeah, the Ga- Gavin Brown, like. Yeah. Like for me, he's he's my number one. Is he your number he's one? He's my number one because he was just so hard. And yeah, so he's my number one, number one in the competition. Like really? I, I grew up, yeah. um, not as a Collingwood supporter, but when Where I who did you buried for? After well, unfortunately, I buried for the mob down the road. Oh, you did oh, the black you? and yellow. Here you go. Lucky yeah. you changed. That's no, good. it would have been it's thirty years of heartache. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, look, Gavin Brown was my number yep. one in all competition. Mm. Um, Hard at it, just fierce, and never, never shirked an issue. Tell us about um, Michael Cho's uh, Bob Rose number one. Okay. In fact, we'll just read the, the top ten to start yep. with. So Bob Rose number one, number two Nathan Buckley, number three Sid Coventry, number four Albert Collier, number five Harry Collier, number six Dick Lee, number seven the great Peter Dacos, Thanks. number eight Gordon Coventry, number nine Len Thompson, and number ten Scott Pendlebury. Fantastic to get. Pendles in there. And wearing, and with his own number. Correct, wearing his own number, exactly, wow. which is interesting. How hard was it, the, the number one selection? Because Nathan Buckley would have been pressing, Sid Coventry would have been pressing, and Albert Collier as well. Yeah, look, it, in the end, it came down pretty much to a choice between two. Um, I think I, I learned heavily on Kevin, Kevin Rose, his view years ago, that because he obviously was very close to his brother, um, you know, saw him play a lot, and he was of the view that it was very hard to split him and Bucks. So given he had trouble, I had all sorts of trouble. <laughs> um, Bucks had won a couple more Copelands. They, were, they weren't the teams that he played in and he won those in probably weren't quite as strong as the ones that, that Bobby won his in. Uh, and Bob finished his career at 27 to, to go and coach in the country. So he maybe had some more in the tank. In the end, it was, it was a toss of the coin decision uh, between the two. And I went for Bobby Rose. I just have a feeling that he had this X-factor, inspirational um, impact on his teammates that a lot of the guys that I spoke to who he'd played with all talked about. And he was one of the newspapers at the time called him the greatest team lifter that football has ever seen. And I think when you read and, and hear things like that, that in the end swayed me just to give him the, the nod over Bucks. That's, that's ironic because I'm th- feeling the same thing about Nathan Buckley. Yeah. The same thing, the same words that you um, had about Bobby. I felt the same about Bucks. He could turn a game. Yep. Um, had the influence over his um, teammates, um, and just drove for, for success whenever yeah. he could. So, uh, it, it, I can I can understand pretty, it being a hard yeah, choice. Yeah, that's interesting. Like yeah. you relate very yeah, absolutely. similar to, to yeah. Nathan Buckley. And you would have seen Buckley absolutely in his prime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Played you know, mid, played back, and went forward when we needed him. Yeah. Um, so that period um, in the late nineties into the early noughties. He was without peer. He was just, he was so ridiculously consistent yeah. and at such yes. a high level. He wasn't just consistently good, he was yeah. consistently elite. And that is very, very tough. He couldn't win a Brownlow until 2003, which is quite extraordinary. And then yeah. he shares it with, um, with Adam Goods and Mark Rusciuto, which was yep. so pleased that he actually got one. Um, just as far as Scott Pendlebury, where you rate, I mean, Michael has got Scott Pendlebury in at number 10. 
uh, and also Dane Swan at 12. Yep. Uh, Gavin Brown, as you said before, at 16. Um, and going all the way through to, um, you know, there's a few others of modern times. There's Tony Shaw, 19, and Darren Mullane, 24. Tell us about, you talked about Gavin Brown. Tell us about um, Scott Pendlebury and Dane Swan. Um, Scott Pendlebury is a fantastic player. Um, but sometimes you don't recognise their achievements until after they're finished playing yeah. footy. Yep. So I, I look at number 10 and I think, God, geez, is, is he a little bit higher? But when you actually break it down and look back at it, you go, well, geez, he's been outstanding. He has been outstanding. Look, he's won, what is he, five Copelands and he's, and, and he's still got... And he's still, yeah, and he's yeah. still got, what, three, four, five years to go? Yeah. So, he almost um, does things by stealth in a lot yeah. of ways, doesn't yeah. he? He's, he's one of those players who um, sometimes you t- tell a player to make their first choice. So if you see it, hit it. But he's a player. If he doesn't see it the first time, he's got the ability to evade someone else and yeah. hit the second one. Absolutely. And, that's hard. and then only the best players do that, and he's one of them. Yeah. Dane Swan? Yeah, Swanee, Swanee just changed games, didn't he? Yeah. He, um, he, his, his ability to get in and out of traffic, he's got those duck feet, <laughs> and he could just burn people off. Um, and, and the thing that he was, particularly early in his career, he was a really good overhead mark. Yeah. He um, yeah. And, he, and if you needed him up forward, you could throw him up forward and he'd kick you, he'd kick you two or three goals that you dearly needed. Absolutely. Do you reckon he's going to get any stick over this? I don't think he will. I think he's done a great job with the, with the top 25. And you, yeah, absolutely. You, you and, and Sav right behind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think he's done a fantastic if job. If only we could have done a top 27. If only the Herald Sun had Correct. gone an extra half a page, exactly. <laughs> we, could have, so, we could have done it. But uh, admittedly, you, you, you put so much time and, and effort into it, and we do appreciate you doing it, and we know that it's your... Your selections, not the club. Is there one of those guys there that you just love his story? Who is there one that? And I noticed that um, even a guy getting in at number twenty-five, Dick Condon, was a bit of a scallywag and a rogue. He, he was the story I yeah. I like is is number six, Dick Lay. Yes. Just because I still a bit like Sav, he's, he's a goal kicking freak, and yet I still think in the greater picture he's he's underrated for what he was able to achieve in a low scoring era. To to do what he did, he's one he topped the VFL stroke AFL goal kicking table more time than anybody in history more times wow. than Gordon Coventry Incredible. Lockett Dunstall Hudson Pratt Coleman you name them he's, he's a freak and yet and he, and he did it as a relatively small forward and who was agile enough to play up the ground he often played sort of around half forward and despite losing the best part of three seasons to injury um he his record is outstanding. So and he I, should be in the in a, a legend of the AFL Hall of Fame. Without a doubt. Without he's, a doubt. he's in the Hall of Fame, he should be a legend of the AFL. Because he'd kick more goals, double the amount of goals that he's than his nearest rival by the time he retired yeah. in nineteen twenty two, oh, which really? is quite extraordinary. Okay. I think the nearest rival was three fifty and he was what seven oh seven. Which is a com- amazing, wow. isn't it? He, that yeah. was that was the a measure of his dominance. And as Absolutely. I say, more goal kicking titles than anybody else. Yeah. Um in a in a low scoring era. And he was and he was a a spectacular player. Mm. He was, you know, Chris Tarrant-like in his ability mm. to fly for marks and kick goals from anywhere. Loved him. And I can't leave without one little quick story on Dick Condon, the scallywag that he was at 25, getting him in. Uh, he was an interesting character, Dick, wasn't interesting he? Interesting is a euphemism, Glenn, and you know it. <laughs> he was a, a magnificently talented footballer, but, God, he had a, a penchant for getting into trouble. He was captain and abused umpires and fought with teammates... <laughs> And to the point where the VFL, as it then was, got sick of him after he viciously abused an umpire uh, and was suspended for life. Oh, really? And he, after a year and a half, they reinstated reinstated him. A few years later, Collingwood bizarrely made him coach as well as um, while he was playing. 
And that year, coincidentally or otherwise, the whole club basically ended up in this massive turmoil. Uh, Condon was suspended as coach for two weeks for causing dissent. Um, it was just, he just brought trouble with him wherever he wow. went. He was an amazing footballer, but he would have been, um, so he would have been very So that's hard where to I handle. could have filled the role. <laughs> Actually, in hindsight, is it, <laughs> yeah, is it too late? It's too late. We'll try and get yeah, it in. No. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. Congratulations, Anthony, on, on getting in the it's 125. And privilege. Also to, to Sav and to your whole family. Yep. It's a great honour for you, I know. Um, and Michael, well done. Congratulations. Thank you, mate. And thank book, you. Which I uh, appreciate book, our book, mean. yeah. Um, but also on choosing the. The one to twenty-five, and I'm very happy with it. You've done a great job. Thanks for joining us, Excellent. guys. Excellent, thank you. Thanks. Are you ready to get an inside look at crime from someone who has investigated some of Australia's worst crimes? It was like Aladdin's cave. The luminol found bloodied footprints and bloodied handprints on a wall. So it's yeah. just like a horror movie. Former homicide detective Gary Jubilant sits down with cops, crims, addicts, victims, small-time cheats, and big-town lawyers as they tell their incredible stories. My house got raided. Next thing you know, I got bail refused. Next thing you know, I'm on a truck yeah. to Parkley Prison. Listen to I Catch Killers early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts today or wherever you get your podcasts.